Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 22. I want to show you this morning a fascinating passage of Scripture. I read it several months ago in my own Bible reading, and this is why I encourage you, no matter what Bible reading plan you have, to read systematically through the Bible. It may take you five years to get through it. That's okay. Just pick a book and read a chapter a day and see what God might say to you. Anytime I read the Bible, I find it to be uh, encouraging. I find it sometimes to be convicting. Sometimes I'll read something in the Bible, and God uses that to convict me of sin in my own life. The Bible I always find to be edifying, enlightening. But I'll tell you this. I find the Bible to be an interesting book. Some people say, man, the Bible is boring, and it's just hard to understand. Well, there are some passages in the Bible that are a little bit more difficult to understand. But most of the Bible is not like that at all. It's actually easy to understand. And it is very, very interesting. Now, in 1 Kings chapter number 22, we're reading about a king whose name was Jehoshaphat. And he was a good man. He was a godly king. And he was the ruler over Judah in southern Israel. The capital of this kingdom was Jerusalem. And so beginning in verse number 41, I want us just to read a little bit about Jehoshaphat. It said, Jehoshaphat, the, chapter 22, verse 41. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Now, look back in verse number 40. It says, Ahab rested with his fathers, or he died. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. And so, as we get into this story today, we're going to find that Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, Ahaziah was the king of Israel, the northern part of the country. Jehoshaphat was a good king, godly. Ahaziah was a bad king, and he was ungodly. Now, it says in verse 42, Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so, as I said, this was a good and a godly king. But notice the next word in verse 43. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Now, what are the high places? They were elevated places in Israel, usually on the top of a hill or a mountain, and the people would go there and worship pagan gods. They would make their offerings, they would offer up their sacrifice, and God hated this. And God had instructed His kings, remove the high places. But even though Jehoshaphat was a good and godly king, he did not remove the high places, and so many in his kingdom were still worshiping pagan false gods. And so we see here a chink in the armor. This good king is not perfect, and he's, he's got some real weaknesses. Verse 44, also Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now, at this time, the king of Israel is Ahaziah. Verse 45, now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the mighty uh, the might that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. The perverted persons is a reference to people who were actually practicing prostitution as part of their worship. It was pagan worship. He did wipe that out. So he gets a thumbs up there. Verse 48, Jehoshaphat made merchant ships 
to go to Ophir for gold. But they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. And so there came a time in Jehoshaphat's life where he wanted to make some ships to go to this place called Ophir. And Ophir was known for the gold that it had. And Jehoshaphat thought, if we can go there, we can get the money, we can have the gold, and I'll have a better and a stronger kingdom. But we read here that the ships never sailed. And when I read this several months ago, I thought, now that's interesting. Ships were made to sail. Ships were made to go places. Ships were made to be a blessing to other people. And yet these ships never sailed. And I said to myself, I've got to preach a sermon entitled, The Ships That Never Sailed. And yet, I wanted to get us through the Revelation series before I got got into this. Now, here's here's the question. Why didn't these ships sail? What happened? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us here. It just says the ships never sailed. Sometimes when you read your Bible... You come across a passage that is unclear. You're not sure exactly what it means. And you're like, well, now what's the deal here? Most of the time, when you read a passage like that that's unclear, the answer you're looking for is found somewhere else in the Bible. Someone has said the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And so when you read something like this, try to find somewhere else in the Bible where it's talking about the same topic. And I want to show you that. Now turn to 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. Because in 2 Chronicles 20, we're reading a rehashing of this king, Jehoshaphat's life. And in chapter number 20 and verse number 31, let me let you find it. You go 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and then 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, I want you to see this. It's very important that you find this if you have your Bible today. In chapter number 20. And beginning in verse number 31, let's just read a little bit of this. It's going to sound very familiar, what we just read. It says, so Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. Now, we just read that, same thing. Verse 32, and he walked in the way of his father Asa, did not turn aside from doing it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. And so, so far, it's the exact same thing we read in 1 Kings. But look in verse 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah. So he formed an alliance with an ungodly king. Now, before we get any farther in this, I want you to just get this in your mind, and we'll see it again as we go through. Jehoshaphat was good, godly. He, we would say he was a saved man. Ahaziah, bad, ungodly, and unsaved man. And the two of them form an alliance with each other. Why? So they could go to Ophir and make money, so they could discover gold, and so that through this alliance... They could enrich themselves, and they could enrich their kingdoms. Again, verse 36, he allied himself uh, to make ships. Let's go back to verse 35. And this Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships at Ezion-Geber. Now, in 1 Kings, we read that the ships were wrecked in Ezion-Geber. Here we read that the ships were made in Ezion-Geber. Think about this. Ezion-Geber was the port. 
And yet the ships got wrecked before they ever left the port. And that's why the Bible says these ships never sailed. But we still don't have the answer to the question. Why, why, did they, why were they wrecked? How could a ship be wrecked when the ship is still in the port? Who's ever heard of something like this before? Well, look in verse 37. But Eleazar, the son of Dodavah of Marashah. Now, some of these names are tough. People, you just got to read through the names and get to the meat of it. It says, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah. Now, watch this. The Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. Why did the ships get wrecked? Because God destroyed them. God wrecked the ships before they ever left the port. Why did God do that? Two reasons. Reason number one, Jehoshaphat had entered into an ungodly, unholy, unsanctioned alliance with Ahaziah. You know, in the New Testament we read, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We're familiar with that passage. Many times we read that and we think, well, that's just talking about marriage. Well, it is talking about marriage, but it's not just talking about marriage. The teaching of Scripture is you have to be very careful, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in friendship, whether it's in business, who you form an alliance with. Now, that's not saying that we can only do business with other Christians. No, it's not saying that. But the Bible does teach that we should not form alliances in in-depth alliances with people who are not believers. And that's what Jehoshaphat did with Ahaziah. And so for the, for the result of that, God destroyed the ships. And not only for that reason, they were pursuing gold. You see, they should have been, Jehoshaphat should have been pursuing God. But instead of pursuing God, he was pursuing the gold. He was pursuing the money. You know, there's something about money that captivates the human mind. And people just think, and we've all thought this, I've thought this before, if I could just have more money, more, better, bigger, newer, then I would be okay. And money has a way of captivating us. That's why Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You can serve God or you can serve money, but you can't serve them both. And Jehoshaphat had entered into an unsanctioned, unbiblical alliance partnership with this ungodly king for the sole purpose of making money, and God didn't like it, and it rubbed God the wrong way, and it was an offense to God, and God said, you built the ships, but they'll never get out of the harbor. I'm wrecking them probably through a strong wind. I'm destroying these ships that you have made. Money was at the root. What is the Bible? The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil, but it does say this, the love of money is the root of all evil. I was reading last week something that Warren Buffett had said. I like to follow him, obviously a very successful businessman. I try to keep up with him and learn from him. He's worth over $100 billion, a lot of money. Over 20 years ago in 1999, when his net worth was a mere $30 billion, isn't that pitiful that a man only had $30 billion, he was being interviewed about money. And one of the things I like about Warren Buffett, now he's not a Christian. The last time I heard him speak at anything, he said he was asked about his faith. And he said, I don't know whether there's a God or not. So he's an agnostic. He says, I don't know. And he said this. He said, I guess when I die, I'll find out. 
Well, when he said that, it, it concerned me and it pierced my heart. And uh, so I would not let him give me spiritual advice. But I do look at his life. Here's a man who's got all this money, and yet he's frugal. He's lived in the same house for over 40 years. He eats breakfast every day at McDonald's, and so he lives beneath his means. He's got all this money, but he was asked about money, and he made a statement that was so good that I got my prayer, my journal that I normally write things from my Bible reading or from a prayer time, but it was so good that I, I wrote it, I dated it. Warren Buffett, here's a Warren Buffett quote. Here's what he said. He said, money makes very little difference after you reach a moderate amount. In other words, whether he had 30 billion, 100 billion, 1 billion, 50 million, 1 million, 100,000, 50,000, 10,000, listen, 1,000, as long as a person has a place to live, can pay their bills, has something to drive, can afford their insurance, and has enough money to buy something, food to eat, and uh, clothes to wear, the fact is, if you have enough money to comfortably do those things, if you had 50 times the amount of money you have right now, you would still be doing the same things. It's just that everything would be bigger and newer, and it would taste a little bit better, probably. But it's still the same stuff. You're still eating something, driving something, and sleeping somewhere in some house. And that's what Buffett said. And he went on to say, if I could exchange a large percentage of my money, just give it in in an exchange... And in return, if I could receive more years on my life and the health that I would need to do the things in life that I enjoy doing, I would gladly give that money away. In fact, he's got so much money, he's only leaving his family 1% of all of his money. They're only going to get $1 billion. You think they can make it on $1 billion? He's given 99% of his money away because he said his family doesn't need that much money. And so he's very philanthropic, and he gives his money away. But the point I'm making here, Jehoshaphat got it in his mind. There's a godly king. And I'm saying if it can happen to him, it can sure happen to us. If I could just get some gold, if I could just increase the bank account, if I could just have more, if I could just have bigger, if I could just have better, if I could just have newer, then I would be better off even if I have to form an alliance with a king who doesn't believe in God, who doesn't honor God, but if through this alliance I can make the money, uh, Jehoshaphat said, show me the money. I'm partnering with Ahaziah, and I'm building ships, and we're going to Ophir, and we're going to increase our wealth. And God looked down and said, build your ships. Form your alliance. Shake your hand, sign your contract. The ships that you are building will never leave the port. I'll destroy them in Ezion Geber. Now, as I have, again, I read that months ago. And I said, I got to get to this sermon, man. I got to preach about the ships that never sailed. Now, I want us to stay with that ship analogy today. And I want you to let ships, a ship, represent your life. And I'm going to use my mind while I'm up here talking. I'm going to play along with you. I'm going to let a ship represent my life. Now, what did I say about ships? They were made to sail. They were made to go places. 
And not only that, they were made to be a blessing. We should understand that here on the ship channel. I mean, we've got ships coming in and out of the ship channel, in and out of the port of Houston all day long, all night long, every day. What are these ships doing in there? They're bringing produce. They're bringing oil. They're bringing gas. They're taking oil out. They're taking gas out. They're bringing in plastics. They're taking out plastic. Bringing in cargo. Taking out cargo. Why are they doing this? Because somebody needs plastic. Somebody needs oil. Somebody needs fuel. Somebody needs food. And so the whole idea of a ship is we can take what we have in our country and bring it to you. And we'll make money off you, and you'll get our product. And here in Houston, we say, well, we've got the, the oil and the gas, and so what we'll do, we'll put our product on a ship, and we'll send it to China, or we'll send it to Japan, or we'll send it somewhere. You can have our product. We'll make money off of you. See, ships are designed to be a blessing to others. So I want you to view your life today as a ship. And I want to say three things to each and every one. This is a very simple sermon, but I want to give you three pieces of advice as God gives me for my life three commandments, and it really they're commandments for all of our lives, but I'm just saying today advice since it's coming from me. First step of advice, before you leave port, make sure you have the captain on board, Jesus Christ. You make sure you have the captain on board. There's a song that I don't hear it as much, but maybe ten, eight or ten years ago I used to hear this song on the radio, and I really liked it. Had, there was a line in this song and here's what it says, I don't want to go somewhere if I know that you're not there. And every time I hear that song, I think about my life, I say, God, that's how I feel. I don't want to go anywhere in my life, I don't want to do anything in my life if you're not going to be with me in that project or on that venture. And so I'm saying to you today, make sure that the captain is on board. I'm saying, make sure you're saved. You know, even during what the world is still going through now, uh, with the pandemic and everything else, and we're all working through that, making, uh, making lemonade uh, out of lemons and doing the best we can to, uh, to just press on and keep living our lives. But, you know, even during this time, we have seen large numbers of people, more people than we would see if we had more people here who have come to be saved and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Forget the first service this morning, but just but the last two weeks before today, to the glory of God, we have seen 32 people get saved, have asked Jesus to come in their heart, and have stood up confessing their faith in Christ. What were they doing? Well, if we can use our analogy today of a ship, they were making sure they had the captain on board. And I'm saying you need to do the same thing. Number two, make sure that you're pursuing the right thing in life. You see, they were pursuing, Jehoshaphat should have been pursuing God, and so had the other king, but the other king didn't even know God. Jehoshaphat knew better, and he should have been in pursuing God in prayer. Did you know the Bible never commands us to pursue the things that we want? If you made a list, it'd be interesting, like if everybody today could just make the list, what are the top three things you want in your life? And we're going to compile that list. And next week, I was going to stand up here and read. Okay, we've compiled it, and here are the top 25 things that people in this service wanted in their lives. You would have a better job, bigger house, a spouse, more money. You know, you just, all, these are the things we want in life. Do you know what God says? If you, if, whatever it is you want in life, do you know how to get it? Don't pursue it. Pursue God instead. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
And yet, we, what do we do? We spend our lives pursuing the things and either never getting them, or if we do get them, it's like the Scripture says, we, ha- we make all this money, but we've got holes in our pockets. A lot of people work hard and make a lot of money, and they got no money in the bank account. Why? Either, there could be a lot of reasons for that, either they don't manage what they have wisely, or maybe God says, you're not honoring me and your money, and I'm not going to honor you and your money. You're going to have a purse. You're going to have holes in your pocket. Your purse is going to have a, the bottom's going to be falling. You're going to work and make money. You're not going to have anything because you're pursuing money. God says, if you want a better job, if you want more money, if you need more money, if you're single and you want to be married, God says, don't pursue any of that. Pursue me. Put it in my hands. Seek me with all of your heart. And if it's my will for you to have one of those things, I'll give it to you. And if it's not my will, you don't need it anyway. So don't pursue the stuff. Pursue the Lord. What was Jehoshaphat doing? He was pursuing the gold when he should have been pursuing God. Now, when I say pursuing God, what does this mean? It means that you have a hunger in your heart to know God. Now, I want to show you some verses. Turn to the right a few pages to the Psalms, the book of Psalms, Psalm 63, one of my favorite Psalms. And I want to just show you the first verse. David wrote this Psalm, Psalm 63. Turn, turn there and find it if you can. Psalm 63 and verse 1, here's what David said. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Could you say that at this time in your life? Could you say, you know what? God, you're my God. Early will I seek you. When you wake up in the morning, I'm not saying that it has to be the first thing you do, but sometime pretty quickly after you wake up, do you seek God? I mean, is that something that you do? Well, David did. Now turn a few more pages to the right to the book of Jeremiah. And I could just reference these verses or, you know, kind of quote them or something. But I want you to mark this in your Bible. Jeremiah 29, I think most of us are familiar with verse 11, where God said, I know the thoughts that I have toward you and so on, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We like that verse. Great verse, great promise. But look in verse 13. This is not as familiar of a verse to us. Psalm, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 29, verse 13. God is speaking, and God says, and you will seek me. And find me when you search for me with all your heart. In other words, if you are a seeker of God and you pursue God to know God and to have a relationship with God, God is going to honor that search and you will find him and you will find the deepest needs of your soul met and you will be satisfied with peace and happiness and joy in your life. And so instead of pursuing gold, we want to pursue God. I'll tell you something else we want to pursue. We want to pursue God's Word. Now, back in about 2017, I started a little study of all the different Bible translations. And I was familiar with it, but I wanted to learn more. ESV, New King James, NIV, New American Standard, Christian Standard Bible, New Living Translation, all of I wanted to learn more about these Bible translations. And as I studied the Bible and about the translations, I started buying a lot of Bibles. And I would get, I said, I want that one. I want this one. I had so many Bibles in my house. And I have, for me, landed on the Bible that is right for me when I'm home reading my Bible. And so I encourage you to find a Bible. First of all, somebody says, what is the best translation? Here's the answer to that question, the one you can understand. That's the best translation, the one you like. When you're looking for a Bible, and this is going to sound silly, but I'm telling you it's true, find a Bible 
that feels good in your hand. Find a Bible that when you look at it, you like how the pages or how it's laid out on the page. If it's the verse-by-verse format, paragraph, find what you like. And then, I don't know about you, but I've noticed, I can't explain this, as I get a little bit older, the print is getting smaller in my Bibles. And so I've got to get me, not a giant print, but I've got to get a print that is comfortable for my eyes. And so find something that you like and pursue every day, read something in the Bible. Now, last December, I started a little project that, that I've been wanting to do for a while because I love the book of Psalms. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It has 150 individual psalms, which were songs or hymns for the Jewish community back in Bible times. And it's, it's a, just a tremendous book. I can remember about 20 years ago hearing somebody say that the psalms are the deep waters of the Bible. And when you're going through tough stuff in life, you better make sure that you spend some time in the psalms. You've got people writing about hopelessness, fear, anxiety, depression, they're almost suicidal, it sounds like, to read it. And then they trust God and they praise God and, and God turns and lifts their spirits and pulls them out of the miry clay. Well, I thought, you know, I think it would be a good idea if I could sit down, and this is going to be quite a project, and open my Bible. Because when I read the Bible, like last night before I went to bed, I said, I want to read Romans chapter 8. And I read it out of three different Bibles and just to kind of see how they read and just see what it looked like. And... And when I read, like when I read Romans 8, I don't underline every verse, but I underline what I consider to be key verses or critical verses. And then after I have finished reading it, I go back and reread whatever I underlined. So now I've, I've narrowed down 39 verses to say 10 or 12 verses. And then what I try to do is pick one of those verses and let that be the verse that I'm going to meditate on that, after that reading or on that day. Like, for example, last night in Romans 8, Verse 6, it said, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And I thought, now, God, I want to be spiritually minded. And so that was kind of my meditation. So I, what I did last December, I got my Bible, and I opened it up to the book of Psalms. And I started finding all the verses that I had underlined through the years in my reading through. the. I've read through the book of Psalms many times, and I'm sure you have too. And I said, I want to try to, these classic verses, these great verses, I want to put them in a booklet in a 31-day devotional format, all 150 psalms represented, so that a person could take this book, read it for 31 days, and you would have read through some of the greatest verses in the book of Psalms. Interestingly enough, in the book of Psalms, there are 2,461 verses. In this booklet, there are 690 of those verses which is over 25% of the entire book of Psalms. And so I'm encouraging you, when you go out today, pick one of these up. We're giving it out today. It's the first day of a new month. And starting today, read this book every day. I'm, I'm encouraging you to do that. And when you do it, when you sit down to do it, give yourself 10 to 12 minutes. Don't rush through this process. Now, at the, uh, at the beginning of this book, I wrote an introduction Two pages that I really worked hard on to get it just right. And I'm going to tell you, it is really good. This is a really good introduction right here. And I want you to, seriously, you haven't read it yet, so don't clap. You may boo if you, after you read it. But I encourage you to read the introduction. It will explain the book. And then I have a prayer, two prayers, brief prayers that you can pray at the beginning of the day. And then just do the readings for the day. And you're going to find about 10 or 12 or 14 verses each day. 
and let, when you finish that, try to hone in on one or two verses that could be your verses to meditate on for that day. I did this. I wasn't going to read it again. I read through this thing, January, February, March, April. I wasn't going to read it again. I thought, you know, I'm going to challenge the people to do it. I want to take the challenge and do it myself. I read it this morning before I left my house. And here are a couple of verses that spoke to me. Psalm 2.12, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. In one verse, that's only a part of a verse, God tells us how to be happy in life. Trust him. He'll make you happy. I read this verse. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. And I read that this morning. I said, God, I slept well last night. Thank you for that. And I read this verse. This was the verse I chose to be my verse for the day. You have put gladness in my heart. And I read that this morning. I thought, God, you have. You put gladness in my heart. I'm, ha- I'm happy in life. I thank God. T- today when I woke up, I said to myself, I, I woke up. And as I told you before, when I get up, I like to stay in bed for a while and kind of get my mind going, have a little meditation, have a little prayer time, talk to God a little bit. And I did what I did. And then I started thinking about the day. Then I looked out the window and I saw the sun was up. It's going to be a pretty day. And I thought, it's Sunday. And a thought ran through my mind. And here was a thought. It's a beautiful day to preach the gospel. And I sent a text to a friend early this morning. I said, today is a beautiful day to preach the gospel. And my friend texts me back. You know what they said? They said, today is a beautiful day to hear the gospel preached. And I thought, that's how all of us should be when we wake up on Sunday. Today, think about this. We take so much for granted. People are watching this service in hospitals today, on stream, watching them at home. Thank God for streaming. Thank God they can. Many are watching them at home today because physically they can't get in this room. Listen, many of us today have done something already that a lot of other people would empty their bank accounts out to be able to do. And that is get up, clean up, dress up, come to the house of God. On Sundays when we wake up, we should say, yes, today is the day I go to the house of God with the people of God to sing the songs of God, to study the word of God. And God, as I go to your house today, you have put gladness in my heart. I'm telling you, I'm glad, I'm glad to be saved. You ought to be glad to be saved. I'm glad to know I'm saved. I'm glad to be healed in my body. I'm glad to be healthy. And I'm glad to be able today to come to church with you and for us to worship the Lord together. So I'm encouraging you to get one of these on the way out. And let's read it together for the entire month of August. The next thing I would encourage you, we're going to pursue God, not gold. We're going to pursue God's word. And we're going to pursue God's will. I wish I could talk about that. I'll just make a couple of statements about God. What is God's will for my life? Here's the ultimate part of God's will for your life, that you be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. When I read Romans 8 last night, I read that 28th verse that all of us love, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. You know, we go through a hard time, we claim that verse. All things work together for good. I lost my job. What is the good? God's going to give me another job. Well, probably he will. Probably be a better job, but that's not the good being talked about there. All things work together for good. I just got a bad diagnosis. The doctor says, I've got cancer. Does that mean the good is I'm going to be healed of cancer? Very possible. God still heals. God still heals. I would be praying for that and believing for that. But the good talked about in Romans 8, 28 is not talking about that. Somebody's house burns down. Say, my house burned, man. What is the good coming out of this? God going to give me a better house. Well, maybe so. Maybe not. But that's not the good being talked about in Romans 8, 28. The good being talked about in verse 28 is explained in verse 29. Here's what it says. Those God foreknew, he knew you before you were born. He also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. 
Jesus Christ. God's ultimate plan for your life and mine is that we would become progressively more like Jesus. And everything we go through in life is an opportunity for us to do it. So pursue God in the difficulty, in the storm. Pursue God and say, God, in this mess I'm in right now. We've all been in some messes. God, how can I become more like Jesus with what I'm going through right now? So what are we going to do? Before you leave port, I'm saying make sure the captain's on board. Make sure you're pursuing the right thing, not the money, not the gold. God, His Word, and His will for your life. And the last thing I would say is today, make sure you've got the right shipmates on board. That's really why God wrecked Jehoshaphat's ships, because he had this ungodly alliance with Ahaziah. And God looked down and says, Jehoshaphat, I never intended for you to form an alliance this deep with an unsaved, ungodly king. I'm not pleased with it. This ship will not sail. We have to make sure we have the right people on board, on the ship with us. Now, you say, well, how do I get the right people on my ship? Well, for those of us who have Christian families, thank God that, that's, the bit, that's the most important part of, of who's on your ship with you is your family. For those of us who have Christian friends, thank God, I have some wonderful friends. Thank God for our friends that can be our shipmates and that can ride with us, <laughs> you know, sail with us through the seas and storms of life. But here at the church, this is where the church can help us. We need somehow at First Baptist to do a better job of helping people who are sailing through life by themselves or maybe even with Jesus, but they don't have many other people on their ship with them. We've got to do a better job of getting some people on ships. So here's one thing we're going to do. As you know, the service we have every Sunday morning is at 11 o'clock. Before this service, at, at, uh, at 9.30, we have Sunday school classes. We change the name of that. I mean, some people still call it that. If you want to call it Sunday school class, it doesn't matter what you call it. But we started calling it Connection Groups because we were trying to have a name for this entity that explains what it is. And we said what we want to do is we want to have groups, small groups, like this is large group. We want to have small group settings so that people who are new to the church, or maybe they've been coming to church for a long time, but they're not involved in a small group, can come to the group and get connected. Now, the numbers are staggering. And if you were in staff meetings with us and looked at the numbers, you would see just how staggering it is. Did you know on a typical Sunday morning here at First Baptist, the overwhelming, I'm not going to say the overwhelming, the vast majority of adults who come to the service are not involved in a connection group. Even in this service today, right here, right now, and I don't know how many people are in this service right now, I hadn't counted up, but I would say this, in this service right now, there are somewhere between 400 and 450 people, adults, I'm not talking about students, 400 and 450 adults in this room right now who didn't go to a connection group before the class. And it was very similar in the first service. And so what we've got is a lot of people not connected to a small group. Now, what do we do about that? Well, here's the deal. Here's what I say to everybody here who's not in a connection group. That, first of all, and I know some of the staff would say, John, don't say that. But I have to be true to me and what I say what I believe. First thing I would say is, that's okay. That is okay. You don't have to be in a connection group to love God. 
You don't. And you don't have to be in a connection group to be a blessing and a faithful, active member of this church. You don't. You just don't have to be in a connection group. So whether you're in a connection group or not in a connection group, I'm saying to you today, we will take you however we can get you. Now, isn't that the nicest thing that you ever heard of me? I mean, well, that's how I feel about it. But I will say this. These 32 people that stood up over the last two weeks to get saved, many of them don't know anybody else in the church. Here's my question. If we don't figure out a way to connect them to somebody, where will they be in six months from now? Now, they may still be here, but if we can connect them, our odds are higher that they will still be here. Now, when you go out today in the commons, you probably saw it when you came in. You're going to see it again when you go out. We have booths. We have tables of, of our connection groups. We have people who teach the classes, people who are in the classes, and they're out there to say, if you don't have a class, at least come introduce yourself to us. They're gonna, it, it's divided by age. One of our best classes in the church is our young married class. It is growing by leaps and bounds, and great things are happening there. And so if you're young married and you're not in a connect, when you go out today, look for that class, look for those people, and see if that won't be whatever your age is. So I'm encouraging you to at least be open-minded to a connection group. One of the things good about a connection group, it opens the door of the church to you. It is through connection groups that people do mission projects. A lot of the connection groups are the ones who go paint widows' houses. They go work at the, uh, you know, some of these children's homes and things like this. They, they, they mow people's yards. They, they, they help people when they get sick. And so just be open to it. I'm not saying that everybody has to be in a connection group because it's just not reality. But I'm saying this. If at First Baptist, when you add the services together, let's say we've got somewhere around 700 adults today in the service, active members of First Baptist, six to 700 that are not in a connection group, what if that number came down to 500 or 400 or 300? And what if more and more connections were being made and people felt like, well, now not only do I like to worship, not only do I like to come to church here, I'm beginning to meet people and I'm beginning to have opportunities to serve the Lord like I would never have known before. And so what I'm saying, in a connection group, you find a place where you can be a blessing to others and also where other people can be a blessing to you, and you just, you do, you get connected, and you get to know each other. Now, you still listen? Say amen. That's a lot of talking about that. Amen. Amen. I normally don't end a sermon making a, an announcement like that, but I view that more as an announcement. I view that as like an application to the sermon about sailing through life with the captain on board, pursuing the right things, and with the right people on board with us. So let me ask you today, first of all, in your life, before we even bow our head and close our eyes, just let me just look at you and you look at me. Answer this question. Are you pursuing the right thing? Are you pursuing God? Are you pursuing something less than God? Let me ask you this question. As you look at your alliances, your, your inner circle of friends, now we all need friends who are not saved. I'm not saying that we only be saved or do business with saved people. You know that's not right. But I'm talking about your inner circle. I'm talking about that business alliance that is more, that is more than just casual. It's, a, it's an alliance. Are you hooked up with the right people? And the most important question today, do you have the captain on board? Is Jesus in your heart?